If you're not passionate about what you do, if you don't love what you do more than anything else in the world, then you're not going to get it. You are now listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with your host, George Valenzuela. This is education coach George Valenzuela. Welcome to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast, where I provide all educators, whether instructional leaders or teachers, tips on how to be their best, both personally and professionally. Now let's get into it. An important guest tonight, so let's get him in here if we can. Right now, it's not about you and me. Let's go, George Venezuela. Nice to see you, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Hey, Dean and Josh. Hey, Josh. I actually live in Virginia. I live in ah. Richmond, which is a few hours away from Tech. That's where I'm landing. That's where I'm landing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> wow. I was at Tech three, four months ago. I was at a conference, and I drove three hours or whatever it was. There was nothing but country, very rural. And then all of a sudden I'm at Tech and it's a beautiful city and it's got all the restaurants and all the hotels and everything. It's pretty amazing. Congrats. And you know what, George? I'm gonna I'm a guy that travels watching uh, man versus food, as you can tell by my cheeks. And that's <laughs> at, at the best pork ribs in the country are there in Richmond. At Nez, what was it called? Nez and Buzzinets outside of the Richmond Street. It's yes. buzzing Nets. Every time my friend comes down, I always get it for him. Yeah. <laughs> it is the buzzing best. Nets. Dean, you need to go there. It is the best pork ribs in the country. Far uh, enough. I'm going to put that on my short list to do then. How does that sound? It sounds like a lot of fun. Hey, but we have George with us tonight. George, tell us a little bit about yourself, your origin. How did, what's going on with you? We know that you're, we know that you're an advisor, an author, a coach. You know, that you're looking to PBL, your SEL and STEM and all that stuff, computer science. But tell us your origin. Tell us your story. The world wants to know a lot about you. My story began in the mid-1970s. I was born in New York to a mom that had some trouble. I never got to meet my dad. He's actually from Texas, Corpus Christi. He was in the military, met my mom in Panama. Make a long story short, she had me in New York. She had some issues, and that caused me to go into foster care. I was in a group home in New York. I really appreciate my upbringing because it gave me street smarts. I also had book smarts. I had these amazing teachers that were Jewish and they would drive from the suburbs into Far Rockaway, Queens, New York. And my reading, writing, math, all that was impeccable. I did extremely well in school. I ended up going to college for computer science. I got talked into teaching a summer school class five weeks and I fell in love with it. Then I started teaching, I got my master's, and eventually I became a curriculum specialist. And as I got into that job, I realized that we were asking teachers from central office to do things that we didn't know how to do ourselves. I had an interest in being a transformational leader, not a transactional leader who says, okay, here's the PD, here's the curriculum, here's the books, now figure it out. I traveled to the West Coast and I became a national faculty with the Buck Institute for Education. To make a long story short, I became a master teacher in learning how to plan curriculum, how to facilitate it using high yielding strategies. I got into the PhD program and I learned the science behind it. I started being sent out. I never had the intention of owning a company, of doing what I'm doing now. I just wanted to help education and become the best I could be for the 40 teachers I was responsible for in Richmond. I started getting invitations after I started writing articles and that led to books 
Little successes lead to bigger successes. It's an amazing story. It wasn't planned. Now I'm in two cities every week. What I will say for anyone watching that is interested in doing what I'm doing, it took 15 years of working with adults, but nine years of being on the road and not anyone knowing who you are until the pandemic. Then being virtual like this and having so many different people from everywhere seeing you, that puts you all over the place. So you really had to sacrifice. You had to take a risk. You had to step out of your comfort zone in order to get where you are today. And most people don't realize that. They sit comfortably. No. So talk about, talk about how hard that is. That's not easy. I had a lot of anxiety in the beginning. I believed I had something important to do and to say. Like, I really believe that. But when I would get in front of people, that anxiety, that lack of confidence and your upbringing, all these things all start showing up. I realized that having overall confidence and being very confident in what you do, it takes time by building self-efficacy for specific tasks. If you do certain tasks, then eventually you start to really believe that I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then eventually you have overall confidence. Around 2017, I got tired of having anxiety. I did a Google search. I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan. And I found a book that's called Relentless, Going from Good to Great to Unstoppable. It's by Tim Grover. I read the book, I want to say 15, 20 times. I got into the psyche and the mindset of how Michael Jordan prepared himself for his job. I took all those same principles and applied them into what I'm doing now in tandem with 10,000 hours learning from experts, rehearsing, practicing, doing what I got to do. And eventually I just built the expertise and I, now I have the confidence to go along with it. That's great stuff right there, man. So I'm, I'm happy <laughs> for you. And I know you're just starting too. That's the coolest thing about the whole journey here. But it's 15 years to just start. Yeah, to just start. Yeah, no, man. You got to give up a lot of security in order to do that sometimes. So that's when I say, don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone to look for something great, something bigger than what you believe in. I agree with that, but there should be some things in place first. Never quit your job if your side hustle does not earn you twice your overhead. Fair. If your skill sets are not earning twice your overhead, you don't have a business yet. You have a side hustle and don't leave until you have six months of savings, but also six months of contracts. If you can't do that, I do not advise quitting. You're talking Dave Ramsey's show right here, man. Making sure you're financially sound before you jump out of anything. I absolutely love that. Good stuff. Yeah. Really good It's advice. okay to take a risk. It's okay to take a risk, but you have to know what you're doing. I had a friend. Her name is Dana Lauer. I'm not sure if she's watching or not. When we were at the Buck Institute, she left to do her business. And being at the Buck Institute back then, that was like the major leagues of PD. If you were national faculty there, it's like having a credential. I could not understand, like, why would she leave? It didn't make sense. This is the big leagues. It's work and everything. What I realized is that she had a business. She was very confident. She knew what her worth was. And when I learned that, I realized that I wasn't ready. And it took me a few years, but then eventually you know what you're doing. And then it's a risk, but it's a calculated risk. Fair enough. Yeah. Man. Great entry yeah. right there, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Hey, George, I've been, I've been listening to you for a while now, a couple of weeks. And I think I feel I already know you with a bunch of the stuff that I've heard from you. But I want to break down a little bit more about young George. 
Okay. We talked about before the show about you, how were, you know, the adversity that you face in life. And that's what makes us stronger. When we face those adversities, early stages in life and all the things that you went through and you, I've heard you talk about another podcast, talk about these obstacles that life placed in front of you mm-hmm. and how they have evolved you and made you who are who you are. And mention about also about what we talked about right before that, George. Jorge, what's the deal with, you wanted to mention that right now before we started. Okay. I think that's a great thing because you know what, I, I, I think I know what you're going to say. Hopefully I'm not, but that's the same thing. When I came to this country, I got renamed by a bunch of white people. No disrespect to anybody out there. They didn't know how to say my name. They didn't know okay, how to say sir. Federico. Okay. So they said, that's too hard. We cannot say your name. So I was renamed Josh, because it made it easy on the teachers, the the women from Virginia, from North Carolina. Those were all my educators when I came to this country. They couldn't say Federico. So I got renamed. I don't know. What's your story as a youth and uh, the adversity that you faced? I'm from Far Rockaway, Queens, New York. It was all Hispanic and (laughs) African-American. And then there was a sprinkle of white. But no, my dad, who's from Texas, who I never got to meet, he passed away. He was a veteran. His name was George of a G. He was stationed out in Panama where he met my mom and you know what happened. She ended up having me in New York and she wanted to name me after him. But when she was in the hospital, she didn't know English. So she spelled it in Spanish and she called me George. I wrote my name George all my life until I did my FAFSA. And when I got my FAFSA back, they wrote back, that's not your name. So professionally, I spell it the right way with a J. But in my personal life, I go by George. If someone wants to call me Jorge, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But my mom calls me George. And I got the receipt. (laughs) And now for a word from one of our sponsors. Are technology issues slowing you down at your school? If that's the case, look no further than Five Star Technologies Virtual Help Desk. Their team of experts are available to support you remotely, resolving up to 40% of common issues like password resets, device connectivity, and lots more. With just a few clicks, you'll have access to their live chat from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. Just enter your email to get started. Then you'll live chat with one of five stars at tech experts to diagnose your problem. And if their virtual help desk agent can't solve the issue completely, they will dispatch the ticket to your school's on-site tech team. Let Five Star Technology Solutions be your support partner. Experience their virtual help desk, which is affordable, efficient and always there for you please contact them at fivestartech.com forward slash contact us once again fivestartech.com forward slash contact us and for your convenience you'll find this link in the episode show notes you mentioned that book wise it just came to you i heard you on a couple of podcasts that book wise it just naturally came to you you didn't have the the knucklehead that this guy has right here. <laughs> how, how, how do you feel this came about? Did it Does it absolutely come natural to you, the learning, the academics? Nothing came natural to me, but I'm very big on systems. I'm very big on processes, on atomic habits, on just putting in the work. Michael Jordan would prepare for a 43-minute basketball game, 45 minutes, 15 times before the game in 90 minute intervals, three, four times a day. So I took those same principles, applied it to writing, applied it to speaking, applied it to podcasting, marketing, all the different things I have to work on. Repetition is the mother of skill. You are what you do repeatedly. Aristotle said that. 
It just takes time. It really requires passion. If you're not passionate about what you do, if you don't love what you do more than anything else in the world, then you're not going to get it. One of the things that is really missing when I hear people talk with young people, especially, or just people speaking about things in general, they leave out the hard work. I put in 14, 16 hours a day. I've been doing that for years. I love doing what I'm doing. I have to stop doing what I'm doing just so I can chill, just so I can spend time with family and things like that. I took five years of just doing this and I neglected everything in my life except my wife and kids because I understood not having a family as a young child, as a teenager, that family is everything. I made sure that was straight, but everything else I've neglected. Now I make time for all the things that have to happen. And yeah, hard work pays off. I think I'm the poster child for that, definitely. And I'm not the only example, but I see that in my life. I watch a lot of documentaries of people that have succeeded. I just watch Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's an amazing story. He spent 10 to 15 years learning how to be a professional bodybuilder. Then he had goals and he crushed those goals at the highest level for 10 years. Then he became a movie star. He had goals with that and he crushed that. Then he got into politics. I think that the secret is to never settling, always trying to level up, be a little bit better each day, be very consistent. And it's a 10,000 hour rule, three hours a day, 20 hours a week, over 10 years. You can cut that in half if you do eight, nine, 10 hours a day, which is what I do. I, I, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Go ahead, Josh. No, thank you. You taught me that a couple of podcasts ago when you brought that up for the first time. I love, no, thank you. Appreciate that. I, I love that you use <clears throat> passion as the common denominator to move from good to great because you're absolutely correct. You've got to be willing to put the time in. I don't care if you're just talking as a student, as a teacher, anybody in life. You've got to be willing to put the work in to separate yourself from the herd of people. And I'll tell you what, it does take 10,000 hours. It takes all that and more in order to yeah. really get to where you want to be. And I love that you talk about goals. We talk about goals with students all the time. You can't just come into school and be a good student. you got to be looking at a target. you got to be stretching towards a target. And you got to work towards a target to be really good. George, let me ask you this question here. Wait, wait. I'm Dean. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Dean, I do want to add one thing. First, sure. I just realized that Principal Cafele is on. He is. I'm a big was, fan, yeah, by the way, Principal Cafele. I really appreciate you watching this. I cannot believe it. <laughs> Our number yeah, one. one of the right. best in the business. Number two, we talked about passion. In learning about passion and helping teachers help young people find their passion. Right now, we have a lot of young people that don't want to be in school. They don't yeah. see the purpose. They're not seeing what they're learning is helping them in their life. So a lot yeah. of them don't want to be there. In helping teachers understand how to be true to our curriculum, but to find out from young people what they're into is such an important thing. As I get deeper into this topic, I've realized that the concept of passion isn't universal to every person. Not every single person in this world is going to find something that they're passionate about. Love and passion are two different things. Love can be a feeling that fluctuates. It goes up and down. It's also a verb. It's an action that hopefully we do unconditionally. But passion is a compelling enthusiasm for something that you can't shake. You can't stop thinking about. It stems from cultivating things that you're interested in. Unfortunately, not everyone's going to find that. 
But I believe that we were put here to help people and to help each other. And so if we teach young people to explore their passions and their interests and cultivate them, that's fantastic. But that's a personal thing. If you take what your talents are and you use it in the service of others, now you have a purpose. The beautiful thing about helping people and having purpose is that you don't have to be passionate about anything. You don't even have to be great at anything. All you have to do is care. The thing that I left out is my overall passion. Yes, it's education, all the things I'm doing, being an academic scholar, no doubt. But the first thing that I really care about is helping other people. I really do believe that's what has gotten me to where I'm at today. I was a nurse's aide as a high schooler. All of my friends, all the girls and everyone was a nurse's aide. So I joined in and I was thinking there myself, what did I just do? Our teacher gave us a list of why people become nurses. And the very last thing was to help people. When I read that, I told myself, I want to help people. Fast forward a few years, I was watching Bob Marley on VH1 Behind the Music. And he said one statement that changed my life. My life is for other people. That's the other dimension to my life. And what I hope that anyone listening right now, whether they want to be a speaker, whether they want to coach others, they understand and they pass that message along. All right, Dean. Back to you. No, and that, that's vitally important what you're saying there. Let, let me just circle back for a second. You know what? In your success that you've had so far, who is the person or the people that have inspired you throughout your career? And who motivates you now to continue to keep moving forward? Faith is the first thing. Belief and faith are two different things, right? You can say you believe a lot of things, but when it hits the fan, Whatever's in your heart is going to come out. <laughs> I definitely work on faith first. My influences, I would start with Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle wrote a book, it's called A New Earth, and he talks about spirituality and just being stoic. That's a big influence in my life. I would say Tim Grover, Ava DuVernay. She's done a lot of work that focuses on young people like myself that have been marginalized, lots of great success stories. 50 Cent, he is a marketing guru. His glow up is amazing. I'll just give you an example. I read his book, How to Hustle Harder. To be known, he dropped free mixtapes, free music, free mixtapes led to the record deal. And that led to the concert. So I just took that marketing articles, free articles, led to books, which led to the PD. Jay McTie, I'm a big fan of Jay McTie. Backwards design planning, that's just an amazing way to not just plan lessons, but also how to plan your life. Zorin said that life can only be understood backwards, but you have to live it forwards. John Hattie, he has an entire meta-analysis where he's curated instructional strategies that have high influences on academic achievement and engagement. That has helped me in understanding how young people learn or how anyone learns and what the conditions are and what the factors are. I've been able to take that, apply those things into my work, right? Visible learning, then apply that and make my own protocols and make my own strategies. It's been an amalgam of people. Right now, I would say is entrepreneurs that 
are not just seven-figure earners, but that are seven-figure fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, have great finances. They're not slacking or messing up in the major areas of their life. It's not just about business. It's not just about work. It's about being a great person. I listen to Ed Milet. It's a podcast where he brings on these entrepreneurs. And that's how I learn. Great stuff right there. George, you just said where I was going to lead into. You're a strong family man. Yeah. And you talk about your kids and that in our field, a lot of times we get lost as you go up the chain from teacher, department head, assistant principal, you lose that connection with your own family because those 10,000 hours come in. You yeah. can't move up the chain to district office if you don't put in those times, especially if you take over a high school that is really in the gutter or a middle school that's in the gutter, you got to put in those 10,000 hours. So what would you say right now? to that, that educator or anybody about the constant unity of a family and what they need to put in to make sure that they expound and make their sphere of influence stronger. No one is going to remember that we worked on weekends and we worked late nights, except our kids. I was told many years ago that your children have a small window of time to be little. And when they're little, they're going to think the world of you and they have a long time to be big and be older. And if you didn't do that part right, if you weren't a good parent, and being a parent means that I know what's best for you and I'm going to guide you. Being a parent is only temporary. You eventually have to become a friend. If you did parenting right, I already knew that in a new earth. Eckhart Tolle talks about that. It's not about seeing if people did homework, if they ate. Those things are part of being a parent. It's about being present where your child knows I see you, I hear you. They don't doubt that they're being loved. The amazing thing about being present, even if it's only for five, 10, 15 minutes a day, because even they're busy now, right? Their self-esteem is built up. If you leave your children a bunch of money with no self-esteem, it's not gonna mean anything. If their self-esteem is built up and they know that they were loved and cared about, then they're going to know how to love and care about other people. That's really what it's all about. It's all about relationships. But the thing is this, relationships are the most difficult thing in life. If you work with people, we start seeing that people don't know boundaries in relationships. For example, there are professional relationships and there's personal. And you see people in their personal, they want all the right things, loyalty, love, respect, and companionship. But then they go to work and they're also looking for love, loyalty, <laughs> and respect. We're not going there to be friends. Number one, our intention should be is to accomplish my professional goals and to help everyone else accomplish their goals as well. If it's students, I'm helping them with their academic goals. If it's my colleagues, it's with teaching. If I'm a coach, it's whatever needs in the contract are. And if we become friends, that's fantastic, but we can't lead with that. I think if we know what we want out of our relationship with our children, our spouse, our partner, and then we actively make time to be present and be the best that we can while doing the things that we're passionate about, I think we'll be okay. And I do a lot of long-term contracts. We're not always able to solve every problem in the school. It's just reality. We can solve some things, but not the whole thing.
I've realized is the people that are trying to fix things, fix themselves. It's almost like a miracle. Their own family gets fixed too. Anyone that has older kids and I have an 18 year old and I have a 21 year old. One of the most amazing things is when you sit back and watch your kids as they get older and you realize that they're really good people. It's not always you. It's other people. I'll just say it. It's God. If you're trying to work on things and you're trying to make things better for people, then things work out for you and yours. You bring up God and spirituality. How do you embed that into educators' worlds, entrepreneurial worlds? How do you create that balance between spirituality and family and uh, professional life? What, how does that work? Everybody's different when it comes to that. I start every day with prayer and meditation. I start my day with that and I end it in the same way. I always pick three things that I'm grateful for whether I caught the flight on time, whether we had a great dinner, whether we had a great service, whatever it was. I pick three things each day that I'm very grateful for. Then I pick one thing where I failed or I came up short somehow and I have to work on it. I'm constantly in a reflective mode. John Dewey once said, we don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. I reflect, but I turn those reflections into meditation, into prayer. I lead from there. I know that most people don't. You might call it emotional intelligence. You might call it spiritual awareness, whatever you want to call it. But the fact is we're not just in a physical body. Just the fact that we can think about thinking is proof of that. There's something else inside of us. I tend to lead from there. I tend to water that and feed that the same way I do my physical body. I'm constantly thinking that way. It took a while to learn that. But if the audience is interested, The Power of Now and a New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Powerful books. I read them for about three years straight at a time in my life where I suffered a major loss. And anyone out there that's ever overcome a traumatic experience knows you have to feel it to heal it. You have to. Those are the books and that's the author. His work helped me to understand parts and dimensions of myself and ways out of that, how to heal. And I just took it with me. Love it. Love it. Hey, to welcome JT and Donna. Thank you for being here. Part of the Fantastic Four with Principal Cafele Chica Houston and Coach Hurt. And now for a word from one of our sponsors. If you're a STEM and PBL teacher like me, you're always on the lookout for new project ideas and resources. You know George does PBL, and I'm telling you, look no further than Smart Lab. Smart Lab really has a fresh take on STEM and PBL. I'm proud to be a partner, and they sponsor the podcast. But just don't take my word for it. Check out what other educators are saying about Smart Lab. When students enter into Smart Lab, they are allowed to think outside of traditional norms. It gives them a lot of agency. They feel empowered and important. I think that's one of the biggest benefits of the Smart Lab environment and the way the project process is set up. Smart Lab becomes this place where they can do those things and have the time and space to like communicate better and, and even like deal with social emotional stuff. Like they're having a bad day. A Smart Lab's a place where we can change the pace of what they're learning to match their mental needs for the day. And then, and that 
comes back tenfold later on when they want to be there and they want to learn and they want to do stuff and they feel safe and they feel like they can get the things they need. That's one of the big benefits of being in more of a collaborative environment is it, it makes, makes you have to work. It makes you have to be accountable. Please look in this episode's show notes for a link to connect with SmartLab. Hey, George, real quick, you talk about music on a lot of your podcasts, but you never go into that. All right, so I'm going <laughs> to ask you quick questions, all right? All right, brother? Here we go. Give me three artists you grew up with. Motley Crue, Tupac. Ooh, Queen, all right, all right. Mercury, yeah. Talk to me about three three artists that you get inspired by their story. Jay-Z, 50 Cent, and Tupac. All right, all right, all right. Here goes the last one. Last one, ready? Give me the three songs that make you pop. When you get in that car and you need that pop, that I bet, boom, which one motivates you? Give me the three songs. California Love, Home Sweet Home, Motley Crue. Woo! And what up, gangster? 50 Cent. Woo, look at you. Thank you, senor. I'm eclectic. <laughs> I have an eclectic taste because... I grew up in the 80s where it was the hair bands and rock and roll that was popular. But then in the late 80s and once Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg hit, it was all hip hop after that. I got both of those worlds. I like all kinds of music, but I like rap music better. <laughs> you, you actually got that out so quick, man. It was like right on the tip of your tongue. So great work with that, 100%. Hey, let's talk a little bit about project-based learning, PBL. What is PBL first and foremost, and why have you found PBL as embedded, have to be embedded in the work that you do? Talk to us about that. Think of someone being a very talented baseball player, football player, basketball player. Let's take with football and basketball. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the playbook and you get put on a team with other players that know plays and the opponents know plays, but you don't have the playbook, it doesn't matter how great you are, you are going to fail. You are winging it, essentially. We all follow that, right? Yep. As a young teacher, I was not a great teacher because I didn't understand high-yielding strategies. I didn't have a playbook. My personality is what helped me survive. I realize now is that I was a great supervisor of children, but I wasn't a great teacher. I learned how to become a teacher through project-based learning at the Buck Institute. We had a three-day workshop. We learned how to deliver our workshop as if it were an actual PBL project. We learned strategies for how to open the project, how to facilitate it, how to do assessments, how to monitor, manage student behavior, student work, the entire process, and how to culminate it to the end. After doing that over and over again for about four or five years, I became a teaching expert. When I went into the PhD program, then I learned the science behind it. Project-based learning, it's basically an amalgam of behavioral and cognitive learning theories. It's constructivist teaching, where learning happens not right away, but along a continuum or a process. When I started to work with adults and coach adults in different things, I took those principles and applied them and eventually, because I learned the science behind it and I learned what the outcomes were, when I'm engaging you right now, I want you to be engaged. I want you to be into the conversation. So I'm saying things that I know are going to tug at your heart, but I'm also going back and forth. I'm 
asking you questions and I'm respecting you and all these different things. Once I learned that, then I took aspects of PBL and I started to incorporate that into everything I do. And not everything has to be a project, but everything we do, whether in a workshop, in a classroom, anywhere where you are facilitating, you have to know not just the needs of the learner, but know them as people, their interests and their goals and their assets so you can make the right instructional decisions. That's really the secret. You can't be in schools because you're just a great speaker, because you're inspirational. Schools have to figure out teaching and learning, and PBL is just one way of teaching. Perfectly stated. Yeah. All right, George, we're going to go back to that other fun side of your brain, all right? I'm going to ask you two sets of questions. All right. Have to do with movies, brother. Okay. Have to do with movies, all right? All right. So I'm going to I'm gonna throw it off first. I'm going to give you like a 10 seconds to think about it. Okay. Give me the three movies that make you pop, just you as an individual, and then three movies that inspire you on the work that you do. Three movies that inspire you as a human being, as a dad, as an educator, entrepreneur. No, educator, dad. And over here, three that had to do with your work. Goodwill Hunting. That's number one. Number two is The Shack. Ever hear of The Shack? No. The Shack. I recommend it. I really recommend it. It's about a guy. Who's in that? I forgot who's in it because there's no one really famous. I'd say The Blind Side. It's a really good one. Those three are movies that inspire me that I go back to every now and then. What about the work? Give me, talk to me about the work. Which movies inspire you with the work that you do? Back to the Future. Why is that? Uh, you, you, know, you, you know, you planted that seed. Why Back to the Future? There's a lot of technology in the movie. There's a lot of imagination, creativity to see how they try one thing and they fail and they try another thing and then they eventually figure it out and then they got to come back. That goes right back to STEM and computer science. And not just that, but if you think about blooms, I live in three different verbs of blooms. Analysis, you're going to analyze what I'm saying, what I'm modeling, the article, the informational text, or the video. You're going to take this analysis and you're going to synthesize what you learn and make your own artifact. Then we're going to evaluate the learning. And part of evaluation is testing and redoing things. That's the first time I think I was exposed to that. Back to the Future. Movies that inspire me. Honestly, the Rocky movies and Creed. Rocky mm -hmm. is a sentimentalist. Sly Stallone just said this in his documentary, by the way. He said, Rocky says the things that I wished that I could have been man enough to say. Something like that. Rocky is a character that I wish that I could be like as a person, but I've realized that you can't be like that because you have to be a good person, but you can't be nice to everyone. Rocky's nice to everyone and nice people get taken advantage of. Ideally, I would want to be Rocky in my work, just in any part of my life, but I realize that's not reality, but it's very inspirational. Thank you for sharing those Movies, George. and I'm going to look up the shack. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about entrepreneurship and how you are driving that train in people moving <laughs> forward. What does that look like? This is what I say to teachers all the time. If you're a teacher, you have a shop you or a restaurant, and you are making a menu and selling to kids, and you want those people coming back to your restaurant all the time. So think about this in the field of education. Where does entrepreneurship come in? The first thing I do want to say is I never intended to ever be an entrepreneur. 
that was not in my plans. It was something that happened when I wrote an article for Little Bits. I'm a computer science major, so my initial work was a lot of STEM, a lot of computer science. I wrote an article and a school in Virginia reached out and, and they were like, hey, George, we want to hire you. Do you have a company? I said, no. And he said, we can't do a contract with an individual. So you have to have a business. What I realized is that when people like you and they want to work with you, then they will help you. For anyone listening, first thing we need to understand is this, that 50% of all small businesses fail the first year. And more than 95% of small startups fail within the first five years. We are six years in business and we're doing extremely well. I'm always building the plane as I fly it. I don't always know exactly what will be needed or what's going to happen as far as building the plane, but I know the tools that I will use. I've got four things. I have content, I have branding and marketing and artificial intelligence tools. That's my framework is those four things. Branding, I haven't figured out marketplace, but I understand personal branding. Your personal brand is whatever people think about when they see or hear you. If we have a business, we have to get in front of the narrative. Otherwise, other people say things about you. That's an important thing. My content is my articles, is my books, is my podcasts, is workshops, and my video and my reels. In the first three, four years of the business, it was just articles, books, and PD. However, times change. So now it's video, it's reels, and it's podcasts. Marketing, there's only two pieces of real estate that you actually own. It's your website and it's your newsletter. Social media channels are essentially rented real estate and you have to pay to be seen. If you don't pay the ads, you're not going to be seen. I'm on other people's websites now. I have sponsors on the podcast. So that is part of marketing. And then I use AI tools. I use a number of them for the videos, for editing the podcast, for all my social media. If you look at my Instagram, it looks amazing. I figured out that part. The algorithms don't support what we do. If you're not being controversial, if you're not naked, if you're not doing silly dances or being funny, you're not going to be supported. That's just how it works. But you need a strong presence. And if you have a strong presence, folks that are looking to hire speakers and coaches, they are going to Instagram and to LinkedIn. So you need a strong presence. I think eventually that will work out for me where I'll have a bigger following, but I have a strong presence, I'll say. It's high quality work. Those are the moving pieces. I don't know exactly what will happen next year or the year after. I'm building the plane as I fly it, but I know the tools I'm going to use. I apply those same principles to my relationship with my family and friends in the gym, every aspect of my life. I'm always building the plane. I'm never comfortable. I understand that yesterday's price is not today's price, but I know the tools. I know the frameworks. And that's one of the secrets. You're evolving, my friend. Evolving. <laughs> never standing still. That is the yeah, future of yeah. education in a nutshell right there. Great stuff, man. So glad you shared that out. Josh. Closing thoughts, George. Closing thoughts for that educator that's about to get into their car, go to work tomorrow, that administrator, that school bus driver. Some words for them as we are about to start another fabulous week. Think about your own self-care. 
you have to always work on yourself first. You can't pour from an empty cup. Always be leveling up. If you see people that are really upset, it's because they're doing things they don't want to do. That's why they're upset. They're doing the same thing year after year, and they're not seeing any progress, and sometimes they don't have goals. So try to make some goals. You try to level up. But the one thing that I will say is that remember that the young people that are in our classrooms, are in our schools, we were put there and they're in our care so we can help them be the best that they can be. So whatever we have going on, we have to remember that first. Our teaching, it's not about us. It needs to begin with us. It does, but it's about the kids. We should always ask ourselves, and I ask myself this, whether I'm working with young people or adults, what is it that they need from me? What is it that they need? And then I start from there. Right there, ma'am. There's a home run, to say the least. Thank you very much, George, for being here tonight. George, go for it. Talk to us. Hey, Josh, I, I do want to say one thing. Dean and Josh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. But Josh, every day or every other day, you're shouting out my podcast and all these things. And I just want to say thank you for that. I really appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. Hey, brother. Hey, you make me better. That 10K hours, you made me better right there, brother. I really Great show. Great guest. Thank you, George, for the shout out. Appreciate that. What do you think about that? I'll tell you what, Josh. Outstanding <laughs> once again. George, thank you so much for joining us, man. Your passion shows through in everything that you do. And most importantly, man, I know someone like you, you're just starting. The ripple effect that you're going to make in regards to what you do you can't even quantify that yet, man, because you are behind your beliefs and you're doing what's right for people. And when you have that behind you and you have that belief and that momentum, sky's the limit. So thank you, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And you know what? As you said to Josh earlier, we're here to network you, people like you who are just doing things to make people better around them. And ultimately, that's the greatest thing about this whole thing that we do in this world of podcasting and bringing people together. Hey, I'm going to give you the last 50 seconds 20 seconds george go what do you want to say out there i think i said it all already just be good to other people be kind to yourself be kind to others but just you go out there and level up and crush everything you do and work on yourself until you believe in yourself and you don't doubt it there it is right there be the best you can be because kids deserve it each and every day there you have it on behalf of george Josh and everybody out there, we wish you a great week in the field of education. More importantly, be true to yourself, be true to those kids, and have a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with George Valenzuela.